Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Greetings, gardening friends. Thank you for your company and we're all here. Ray, Faye, Bev, John, lines are open. Email is awaiting you as well. Gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Dynamic duo Chris Bartlett and Mark Carlton had a, another fabulous morning. And we just, just found out about Chris Bartlett and his little gallbladder operation a week ago. I didn't I didn't know. So he's quite miraculous to be sitting here today. Good you, man. You wouldn't know he missed a beat, would you, Ray? No, no. Such is the way of the world these days with keyhole surgery. Also thanking Jim Crinan for the cycling show. And Jim will be back at 10 a.m. Faya Caro, we had a little weekend off for Easter, which was really lovely. And Easter just was very busy and went so quickly. And, uh, and I felt it was a little quieter this week work-wise with people. I think some people do take extended leave and goof off at Easter, which such is the way and good on them if they could get away. But it was also a fabulous time to get into the garden and do do things around the house as well, I thought. What did you do, Ray? I can't remember, Faye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have I have so many balls up in the air sometimes that so who knows what I do. But uh, I try and get as much done as I can. Well, I got distracted with bees and dismantling a bug hotel and then mm. realised a bee was there. So I went, whoa, stop, all holes barred. Let's just walk away and find something else to do. I end up in the shade house and yeah. I sent you some One photos. thing leads to another, doesn't oh, it? Yeah. Mm. So lots of repotting and just tizzying up, just, you know, pulling off the dead leaves, trimming yeah. up others. Yeah. I fed a lot of things, a, a yes, nice I've boost done that. of liquid I've food. Done that as well. You're reminding so, me. <laughs> mm. And it's a good job for people to do. You know, if you don't feel like gardening or you think you've lost your mojo, Get out there with a pair of secateurs and just cut off the dead ends of things. It's an instant pickup, isn't it? It's and an then a liquid feed or yeah. wetting agent or both. Yeah. And yeah. check for bugs. Just have a look what's going on. I actually found a mealy bug destroyer on my native French panny, which was covered in scale, mm-hmm. as well as a parasitic wasp or parasitoid wasp okay so the so good guys are out they're there. out there tell you what's out there loads of monarch butterflies i'm seeing them uh, everywhere and yes. lots of dragonflies everywhere i go yes so things are on the move out there it's all very busy and uh, we've got a really good show lined up today firstly we're speaking to gavin davis from soil solver at 20 past eight but our special guests this morning are ellen walker from earthwell australia and kathy hubble uh, as well joining her we're going to have a really really good thorough look at our soil and it's it's come about because of this chili thrip issue which is taking well, over the world yes what happened i was doing a bit of research yeah. and looking at alternative methods and controls and trying to find anything and everything yeah. uh, that would steer us away from chemical options mm. one for our own health but mm. for the health of 
our gardens and our environment. Mm. And one of the solutions was fungi in the soil. We've all heard about mycorrhizal fungi before, mm. but how do you know you've got it? How, exactly. how can you check? And then I thought instantly, I thought of Ellen from Earthwild, the lady who people have seen with the microscope up at the Kalamunda Garden Festival, and she can look and see things. And I thought, right, get on to her and find out a bit more about it. And then she told me about Kathy, who has a business called Biotiful. Mm. And she's done a lot of research on the Korean natural farming method and regenerative agriculture. So there's hope out there and science that backs different methods of treating problems. Yeah. Ones that we can live with in a better way. I agree. Ones where we don't have to actively be involved. And, you know, it's sort of, it, to me, it feels like it reinforces what I've been thinking for a long time. So it, I can't wait to hear more from does. the ladies. And I think we all need to re-educate ourselves. It's time. Well, actually, on the today's Facebook post, I, I did write, I think it might help you change the way you think. Did you? Okay, mm. there you go. We're all in sync. Mm. And today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Base Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. Also, I have my $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees to give away this morning. We'll do that soon, actually. And another fabulous question uh, compiled by John Glidden. Uh, this one's a little bit easier this, this week. And uh, so we'll be giving that away. And I know we've got some emails to crack through and we've got a call coming up in Mandra. I, I was just going to say two things quickly. There is an open garden oh, on yeah. this weekend, so I want to talk more about that. Yes. And on Easter, never mind what you and I were doing, how about what John was doing? He put together a compilation of discussions that have been had about chilli thrip over the last, uh, since February. Yeah. And that is available as a podcast. Mm -hmm. and so how do people find it? Well, um, if you were to go to Let's Talk Gardening under programs on the Curtin website, website. Mm -hmm. there's a drop-down box there for the podcast. And that podcast is yes. there? Separate? Yes. yes. Okay. So, And we're, that's like a summary, isn't it, then, of all it the is, chats we've had about Chili Thrip? Yes. So you can it, sit it's and a listen. compilation. Yeah. There's just uh, different versions. You know, as you listen to it, it's, it's a general chat about what we know about them and different methods of treating them. And, of course, this is... It's not actually a new pest, but it's newly in our awareness. Mm. And so there are alternative methods coming about as time goes on. Of course, depending on your situation, mm. people will have a preferred option. Mm -hmm. Okay. I look forward to learning more as the morning progresses. Let's head to Mandra. Gwen, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Gwen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, very well. Just, just. Getting things organised, waiting for this possible rain that's supposed yeah. to come. Oh, yeah. well done. Yes. Now, I have, uh, as I spoke through there, I have a, a, well, it's become a huge problem with my Washington Naval Creek. Uh, over the years, it, it, it's uh, fruited very well. And just outside, do you recall, do Washington Naval um, uh, ripen at this time of the year? Because I had a funny feeling they ripen uh, about. June, July. Mm. Are, are yours ripening now, Gwen? They are, yes. And and besides, it, they they do have a little problem 
Uh, I've had it for a couple of years, and I did go over to Bunnings and asked their opinion. For some reason, I don't know what it is, but, but they've got little pinpoints on them, like little black points, like as if uh, a wasp or something is... Pricking you know, them. Mm. Well, um, it... It is possible that they could be targeted by fruit flies. It does happen to some people. So if mm-hmm. it's prevalent in your area, it could be that. Um, yes. Are they falling off the tree? They are falling off the tree. Okay. Yes. Very important that you clean them up and perhaps put out baits and traps. Um, maybe next year even think about putting a net over it. And the, they pupate in the soil. So when you're netting, you tie yes. the net in around the trunk of the tree. Uh-huh. Okay? Yes. Otherwise, they come up from the ground. Yeah. Oh, well, that's interesting. Because uh, this year, as I was saying, this year, the tree is just loaded with fruit. But I'm afraid I probably won't get any of it because uh, with this one that I've got in the kitchen, I've kept it, I was going to go up to Bunningford. I thought I might ask you ladies first. Where the little pinpoint is, it's gone yellow around it. Well, it it could be that, but dare I say, chili thrip can also attack citrus as well as 150 other things. So without a magnifying glass and a piece of fruit to check, you know, we we couldn't be sure. Um, But the, the treatment is probably pretty much the same. Protect your tree if you can. Uh, use baits and lures. You could also spray uh, a soap spray. You know, it's not going to change what's happened, but it might stop others that are around coming in and stinging the fruit as well. Yes, it's standing only on the orange tree. Uh, I've got a lime, a lemon and a mandarin and nothing, none none of those. Well, keep keep an eye on the others and you may be able to do something preventative with the others like netting. Okay. Oh, thank you very much for your help anyway. You're welcome, good Gwen. Luck, Gwen. Yeah. Have a good day, ladies. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. Okay. And can I just suggest, Ray, that perhaps when our listeners do call in, because we've got a particularly busy show today and yeah. guests in the studio, if they wouldn't mind keeping it to one question, <laughs> you know, because one quick question goes sometimes to a second quick question and, third. <laughs> and, and we just run out of time. And we do. We encourage people yep. to send in emails and unfortunately we don't don't get to them all every week, which is a shame. Yeah. Okay. So now. did you want to do your giveaway? I think we should actually. Where am I? Okay. Um, now this is from Kerry at Bigger Trees up in Pickering Brook, uh, home of the frangipani, ornamental and fruit trees, plus a fabulous range of hibiscus and camellias, gardenias, succulents, proteus, small plants and the ever-trendy indoor plants. Here is your question. If you would like to win a $75 voucher, compliments of bigger trees. Now, you must be a Curtin FM member not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. And, of course, our phone number is 94841927. Here is the question. What is Australia's tallest native tree? What is Australia's tallest native tree? Give Bev a call now on 94841927. Have fun with that. Actually, it's interesting, Ray, because if you drive through Western Australia Mm -hmm. and you look at the landscape, 
it's probably not a tree that's coming from the middle of Western Australia, for example. Correct. Because you can see how the the height of the trees change. Mm. The coastal trees may be blown. Mm. But as you get further south where it's wetter mm. and a milder climate, the trees are much taller. Mm-hmm. Ah. Little hint. Mm. Okay, let's do an email if you like. We'll okay. do one while we're waiting for Mike to come up online. So uh, we have I got know. a few here. Where do I start? Well, I'll go back to this one because Kathy in Aluka has written to us a couple of times about an American wisteria that um, wouldn't flower. It's actually a pink wisteria. Yeah. And I did put a call out to Facebook because I couldn't I find many pink Many examples around the place, and a couple did turn up. One was actually removed because it became too vigorous, and another person said the pink was so faded it looked almost white. Um, So I thought that was interesting. But I spoke to Darren about this because he manages with steerias all the time, and his tips are do not prune in winter, feed well in spring with a complete fertiliser, so that's something designed for flowering and fruiting plants. And particularly now, don't overwater in late summer autumn. So you'd you'd hold up on the the watering now. Is that change time where things don't need the same watering they mm. were getting two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. So just be mindful about the change of season, particularly with the the water that we're expecting over the weekend. Exactly, sprinkles mm. need to be turned off for Monday. No doubt about that. All right, we'll just go to Palmyra and say hello to Mike. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Oh, well, Good thank thanks, you, Mike. Mike. I have several pansies, uh, some in the ground and some in pots. There's, there's a query about how much water we give them. Right. Um, that's, well, how much water are you giving them at the moment, Mike? I give them that. Just a little bit, probably once a week, not much, just, um, you know, uh, probably half a bucket. In, in a, They're um, in the pot? Yeah, the one's in the pot, yeah. Well, how, and how big is the pot? Um, I think you call them 22 litres or something. Okay, so it's about the size of two buckets. Uh, so it it also then depends on the quality of your potting mix. And being in a pot, these plants are more subject to drying out and moisture not holding in the soil. If you had freshly potted a, a frangipani, the potting mix would be good quality, holding moisture. Even then, I think being in a pot, I would probably be watering them twice a week. But if the plant looks healthy... And the the soil is moist when you dip your finger down. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do the plants look healthy, and and why are you querying it? Um, my indoors. One of my indoors um, he's been getting. He's got a, got one from a, a lady that grows them and uh, to sell, and she reckons that they need watering two or three times a week. We're only watering once. Yeah, but your your potting mix might be very good quality. It might be yeah. in an you pot might be in an area that's protected, uh, yeah. so you get evaporation from sun and wind. So if it's yeah. part of a garden where there's lots of other plants around it, they they also um, 
can take humidity. Yep. So if it's under shade cloth, once a week might be fine. No, yes, no, they're out in the opening. And I've never lost one, but um, mm. I'm just a bit worried if I'm not watering them enough. But, uh, if, if your plants are doing fine, that is quite okay. You, yeah. You, no reason to change it. Yeah. In a different situation, different potting mix, different location, it might need more water. Just keep right. doing what you're doing, Mike. If right. it ain't, do, the leaves, do the leaves burn? They they can do, and there would be different reasons for leaf burn. One could be uh, linked back to fertiliser, burning the roots, showing up in the leaves, and moving right. a plant that is used to being in shade into sun on a hot day, for example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just got one against the fence, and it looks like it's got a right scale or some sort. The, well, it could have scale. It could also have a bug attack that has pierced its leaf and the milk has come out. Yes. So just yes. have a look. If it flicks off easily, it could, it could be a scale or it could be um, the the sap that's hardened. Yeah, it could be the sap because it, it's set. But you can, I can play with my finger and it, and it, and it pokes through, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if it's against a fence, it can get reflective burn on a hot day. So all those things that you look at and try and work out what's happened and what you've yeah. done to the plant that could affect it, like applying right. fertiliser maybe. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Thanks Mike. All right, all right, bye. Cheers for that. Now, we do have a competition winner, John Hudson from Safety Bay. Congratulations to you, John. And, of course, our question was, what is Australia's tallest native tree? The answer is the mountain ash. It's a eucalypt, Eucalyptus ragnans, the second tallest tree species in the world after the redwoods of California and the world's tallest flowering tree. The tallest living specimen, nicknamed Centurion, is 99.6 metres tall and is growing in Tasmania's Arve Valley. How's mm. that? Very okay. interesting indeed. So congratulations to John, $75 voucher coming your way this week from Kerry at Picker Trees in Pickering Brook. We'll be back in a moment. Yeah, with Ray and Faye, this is Let's Talk Gardening. Now we have Gavin Davis online from Soil Solver and they recently won an award uh, from the Landscape Industries Association of WA. They actually won Product of the Year. Hi Gavin and congratulations. Yeah, hello. Thank you. Well done. What does that actually mean to our for, for all of us? How 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 brilliant a win is that, and why? Well, it's been twelve years in the making. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. The product is basically what's missing from our sandy soil. So it's the clay, mm. the silt, and the minerals at the right levels and the correct balance. The mix into our sandy soils and once you've done that it's a once-off application uh, as long as you use sufficient and that's one of the big problems people seem to think that uh, sprinklers okay but it's more than handfuls but it's only once off and it's done permanently. So Gavin what sort of minerals are we talking about and how long do they last? Uh, we're talking of all the plant minerals that plants need for growth and the amount we have to put into the soil to make it healthy 
is way more than what you're going to consume in a year or 50 or 100 years. It's a bit like the dipstick in your car. You've got to have the oil up to that level mm. and keep it between that very narrow range, even though the dipstick doesn't even go to the bottom of the sump, the oil sump. So what type of minerals are they? Are they the trace elements? Yes, yes, the copper, the zinc, the manganese, uh, the main ones. Uh, like there's very little manganese in soils in WA anyway. Very low, it's only like 5% of what we should have. And so that's a considerable add- additive to the plague product. And once we get that, you know, I think doing the things like that with the copper, the zinc and all the others that I have to put in. Uh, yeah, the results are just outstanding. I've got gardens 10 years on now, not a lot of maintenance. Generally, the outcome is once it's done properly, uh, maintenance levels are down, no wetting agent, and for an ornamental garden, about half the wood are used. Yeah, and you never need to use a wetting agent again? You don't need to. Uh if you use, if you get your clay content to 5%, uh-huh. that means using 10% of my product, which is, uh, it's actually three times better than any clay I've tested in Australia. And, and I've tested quite a few. And to win this award recently, what was that process? What did you have to go through to actually become product of the year, Gavin? Uh, well, what the Landscape Industry Association asked for people to submit their product which I think has got merit to win that. Mm. Uh, there was 10 entrants and uh, mm. applied to, and you've got to put a screed in telling you telling about the product. Mm. And yeah, we were winners of that which was absolutely wonderful for us. Yes. And it's when the, the people out there that have used the product is just they'll say the same thing. So when people are maybe establishing a, a new garden, they've got fruit trees, uh, they want to grow vegetables, and they're starting with bare sand. How much do you add and what? how does the clay change their garden bed? Right. Uh, just for standard rate, we're getting away with 10 kilos, which is uh, quite a low rate according to soil science, but it's doing the job. For veggie gardens, I would go to a higher rate. I use in excess of 20 in my garden, and other people have done the same, the veggie garden and fruit trees, if you can. For how uh, big an area? Oh, well, when I have my veggie garden running, I've got 150-plus square metres. Uh, so per square metre, I should say, yeah. I'm... Okay, so 10, 10 <laughs> kilos a square metre or for a vegetable garden, 20 kilos a square metre. So that's yeah. one bag for one square metre. Yeah. Once you do that, because the kale and clay holds the humus in the soil, you can actually make a reduction in the organic applications and that needs to go down to a low phosphate source organics and the reason for that is because the kale and clay is so good at holding nutrients in the soil, it's holding the phosphate in the soil, which is normally leached into the water table under in areas where there's no clay. So suddenly we're holding the nutrients in the soil and retaining them to make them available to the plant. And most organics have high levels of phosphate, for instance. So uh, you get a build-up, and I've got a build-up in my veggie garden in five years. So it's quite considerable. So, so that, is that a good thing? 
Uh, it's getting to the point where it's too high. And so then what do you have to do? Uh, just use low P organics. So a lot of organics is made with uh, big manure or cow manure and they're putting a lot of that on. And they're all fairly high in P and phosphate. So you, we just need to use lower rates. Uh, and which demonstrates the ability of the clay holding the humus in the soil to stop any leaching of nutrients out of the soil and the water table. So, uh, so for home gardeners, how would they know if they're getting to those high levels and they're holding too much phosphate in uh, their, their gardens? Uh, I have seen it out in home gardens already where they're using massive levels of phosphate. Basically, if they keep using large amounts of organic, once you get clay on it, or kaolin clay, uh, other clays don't actually hold humus in the soil and don't hold nutrition in the soil as, like this kaolin clay product does. So mm. if they're using any good levels of phosphate, then they go over 0.2, uh, 0.5% in the product, yes, you'll get a build-up. There's no doubt about that, and I've seen it. And is there a way of taking it out again? Are there plants that will use that uh, for their benefit? No, the only way you can use it is growing productive crops on it. So basically you're switching over to using a just a natural nitrogen source or a nitrogen source. Potassium is another mineral which is, which is going to be an ongoing problem because the amount of potassium that we actually need in our soils is quite high. And it's not one that's easily to keep the levels up with the once-off application, I've found. And, of course, this is uh, for, for flowering and fruiting plants. They need high levels of potassium at the critical time. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, basically, a nitrogen potassium source is really what's needed there. I'm working on a product doing that, along with some others. So, Gavin, uh, last year I had my little garden uh, landscaped and uh, the soil solver went into my garden. It's only a small garden, two tonnes, I believe. And I'm, I've got a little soil sample today and I'm going to give it to uh, our next guest, Ellen Walker, and she's going to actually have a look at that for me this afternoon. So I look forward to reporting back to you to see how, because my soil is is now you know, looking in regard to that it was shocking, absolutely shocking soil before we uh, had it amended and Soil Solver was one of the products that was the landscaper did, did employ. Mm. Yeah. Oh, cool. It is. Uh, and like I said, we've got plenty of gardens around Perth and they yeah. always look good, always mm. have healthy leaves. Uh, you just treat the sand that's there. Mm, exactly. With the clay, add some fully matured compost. Yeah, I did that. that that will keep ornamental gardens and lawns going for the lifespan of us and their grandchildren probably. Wow. That, that... Well, no trouble at all. And without, you know, sure you can add some things to make them look better, but generally that's enough. Yeah. I don't see any point putting nitrogen onto lawns and ornamental gardens just to make them grow so you've got to prune them. Mm. Mm. Just let them... Because what keeps the lawn green is not nitrogen, but the minerals. Mm. So the answer lies in the soil or the answer lies yeah. in the minerals. Uh-huh. That's, very clever. that's very timely because that is the reason our next guests are here talking about healthy soils. Mm. Yes. Very, I, very good. And yes, get- and it, I've 
well, that was part of the success of the product is yeah. actually I went to the level that I thought soil science told me. And yes, that's what's what needed. And that's along with the clay gives the result either on their own wouldn't have worked. And either on their own without some organic matter as a stimulant, uh, that just makes it better again. So as you can see, it's, it's really the right way to go and it can make a huge difference to people's gardens in Perth. Yeah, so no, well done on that uh, award. Now, you guys are down at the Perth Garden Festival? Yes, we will be there this year. Great. Uh, which would be great. People can come up and have a chat with you? Yes, of course. We'd love that. Yeah. We've just spent a couple of days or three days at the home show in the city. Right, uh, yeah. Uh, and we had some really good feedback there and oh, good. Uh, people looking for us. Yeah, no, good. So that was good. We've actually just gone national in the last eight months. Yes, so big, big We're in every, every state in Australia now and we're getting some really quite, some nurseries over, and particularly South Australia. We've got one over there that's, uh, wow, some West Australian nurseries should lift their game. <laughs> Interesting. Because, I mean, every, you know, there's different soil across the country. The different requirements. The people over east generally think it's all clay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the coastal areas are sand, and there's lots of mm. demand for the product around because these people have been neglected, and of course they are really into it. And it's it's been uh, great for us to get in over there, and yeah, and we've had some good feedback. People driving considerable distances to a nursery to get some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Australia has a lot of coastline, doesn't it? (laughs) Has a lot of sand. Oh, that's great work, Gavin. Congratulations and well done. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, we'll catch you, no doubt, uh, at at the Perth Garden Festival. Yeah, we'll be there doing our thing. Yeah, great. Come and see us. Yes, we... Everybody's welcome. Absolutely. And uh, keep up, yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Yes, very, very interesting. Well, I look forward to getting my soil sample uh, tested. But, of course, the reason that I've got the soil sample is I have chili thrip. So I took some soil near one of my affected roses specifically just to see what's going on in the soil Mm. because it's a new garden and... Yeah, I just wonder, 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 wonder. So let's just see what comes out of that. It'll be very interesting. Have you got a soil sample too? No, no, no. no. Yeah, I, I haven't. I wasn't asked for one, Ray. Oh, <laughs> that's thought... okay. That's okay. No, I've just remembered that I know someone who's got a microscope, and they don't live far from me. So I might do my own little bit of homework. Little of investigation. Mm. Okay. Shall we squeeze in another email? Well. Can we just quickly mention the open garden that's on this weekend? Yeah. It's 16 Lakes Way in Jandicott. It is an acreage garden. Open Gardens West Coast will be there now. It kicks off at 10 o'clock and goes to four both days. And there is so much to see. There are plants for sale. Shirley Fisher has an art exhibition. Gorgeous. The studio is open. There are shade houses and a glass house. There are ponds. There is a tropical rainforest walk. There are vegetable gardens and fruit trees. The list goes on. If you want to know anything about growing vegetables or palms or ferns or cycads, get along to this 
long-term garden. I think it was established about 40 years ago. John mm. Banasavich is a passionate gardener. I'm sure he's got Curtain FM blaring around his patio and I know the Chooks are listening to us. Oh, the Chook good. pen got mucked out yesterday. Yeah. So, you know, there's just something there for everyone. It's productive. It's ornamental. The vibe is amazing. He had about 10 people there at least yesterday. Including yourself, yes. Yes, yes. I went for a couple of hours and came home at 6 (laughs) o'clock. Yes. Um, But it was a great day. It's a beautiful garden to work in. And and talk about healthy gardens. Oh, It's amazing. Is a garden not to be missed? We're going, aren't we? As soon as we get finished today, we're we're heading straight there. I will be there the whole weekend. If you're a curtain listener or even if you're not, come and say hi. We would love to to get to meet you and sure would. put a name to the face. And it's just a beautiful garden to immerse yourself in. Absolutely. So. Yes. Oh, and there's food. They're doing meals. Yeah. There is a bar, coffees and Goodness teas. Goodness me. They've gone all They've, out. Oh, these guys are amazing at entertaining. I know. I know. And John's in a moon boot. Ted's got his arm in a sling. I know. And they're Ted really in the, the wars. I would have a nervous mail. breakdown trying to open my garden <laughs> with my foot in a moon boot, but they, they manage, right? Oh, he's been up a ladder this week. Good grief. Mm. Okay. All right. Anyway, as, as we were. As we were. Well, we've got Ellen Walker and Kathy Hubble about to join us after the break. Curtain Radio in Perth. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio right now, we have Ellen Walker from Earthwild Australia and Kathy Hubble from Biotiful. Biotiful. Right. Very, very clever. Welcome, ladies, and thanks for, for journeying in this morning. I hope you found us okay. Mm, thank you for yes. having us. Mm. Well, well, it's our pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> We've been looking forward to this chat, haven't we? Oh, we have. And mm. it was probably a week or so ago that in in researching the chili trip, I came across a, a line in uh, biological management that said how fungi in the soil can help. And I mm. went, oh, how would you know, you know? And then mm. I thought, aha, Ellen, she will know exactly. <laughs> and then she put us on to Kathy, who's got nursery experience and gave us a background as to to what uh, consumers are having trouble with and Mm. how they're managing it. So the whole thing just came together and, yeah, here you are. (laughs) And one thing you said to me was healthy plants don't get attacked by pests. And I thought to myself, well, I've seen some healthy-looking gardens Mm. and healthy-looking plants, and to me, they still can get attacked. By pests. So please explain that one, Ellen. Yes. <laughs> oh, throw me in the deep end, right? Yes. So this work comes from John Kemp from Eco Advancing Eco Agriculture, um, and that is the plant health pyramid. And what he's talking about there is that there's four levels of these of this pyramid, and basically the bottom two levels of plant health you can achieve by making sure the plant's got all the minerals it needs to be able to to be healthy. And by and actually, that's pretty much with the chili thrips. That's the level it is at the top, that second level there. When the plant has all the nutrients it needs, it can form the cells that are strong enough that the chili thrips uh, are, won't be able to attack it. Then you've got another couple of levels that are really dependent on active huge amounts of biology or lots of biology and then by the time you get to that top not even beetles will eat them it becomes inedible Ooh. a bit like bringing a bale of hay into the studio here 
you know, the cows would come in and um, they wouldn't sit on it, they'd eat it, whereas we'd sit on it, we wouldn't eat it. Mm. Isn't that cool? <laughs> so how do you know? Can you tell when you've got that level? Under a microscope, can you tell? You can't. With that really top level, then... Um, basically you're looking at a really excellent soil sample of, of having plenty of biology or lots of biology so the bacteria fungi protozoa and nematodes all of those things mm. so then that you can see that we can see under the microscope okay yes. mm. wow Ooh, be very keen to hear what Ray's got in her soil mm-hmm. goodness knows mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, so I'm excited to look <laughs> so if you were creating a healthy soil from scratch mm. What would you be doing? So remembering that soil, there's three aspects, really three important aspects to soil when we're thinking about soil health. That there's the physical aspects, there's the chemical aspects, and there's the biological aspects. So we want to get good structure to the soil. We want to have the pH and so on right, and we want this diverse range of of microbes. So I'd be looking at trying to bring all of those things together. But the thing that really makes good soil is green plants growing. Because mm. that's where the microbes get the exudates from all this beautiful food. And microbes, so we, we talked about those three aspects, the physical, the the chemical and the biological. Mm. And we're looking for that sweet spot in the middle. Mm. And so when we to get that sweet spot, we have to have the biology. And we often disregard that. Yes. So we start with sand. We start with sand. And we want to plant something. Mm-hmm. What would you be putting in the hole? If I was doing that, so I'd be looking at putting some worm castings, particularly worm castings and a bit of compost in the yeah. hole. If you've just got sand, maybe a touch of um, of the clay, like Gavin was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. And then I'd also be, well, that that's sort of, Bit, sort of digging, digging it together and mixing it up a bit and making sure that when the plant went in, uh, depending on the sort of plant, I'd possibly add a touch of mycorrhizal fungi. How do you get it? Yes. Well, go and see your your local nursery or somebody okay. who's going to. Yes. Okay. Well, you for, can buy for, it. For, yeah. for, for, Many for that. of the products do include it these days, and mm. there are, um, if you're really keen, um, there are products that you can buy online, which is way way in excess of whatever you would actually need in your little home garden. So mm. you could go in with a whole gardening group and divvy it up. Okay, and, but of course, the best thing. Oh, sorry, with, apart from from the, the mycorrhizal fungi, which you've probably got in your compost as well, because it's it's everywhere. We need it's to natural, activate. isn't it? It is pretty yes. natural. Yes, but it's just some research. But you, your worm farm and your compost bins—that's just the best place to to mm, get so right. much. And because the earthworms, the earthworms, as they're processing things, they're exuding the hormones and the enzymes and all of these bits that activate the stuff. And did you know that the earth? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I love, I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> the, the earthworms, they, you know, part of the stuff that they exude are these things that actually break down those waxes that cause our, yeah. our hydrophobic soils. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, everybody should have an earth, earthworm farm. And Kathy, let's just. Switch over to you and go back a little bit. What was the beginning of this um, problem that took over Perth? What what did you see? The beginning was actually not just this year, but I remember seeing samples um, last year and the year before. Yes. So it's been around for quite mm. a while. Mm-hmm. And I think um, 
It's probably a combination of ideal climate conditions yes. for this pest. I call it the perfect storm. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's very been very happy. Yes, um, to grow and multiply in in the weather conditions that we've had, which happened to coincide with a lot of um, active growing time in our plants as well, particularly mm. roses. So, yes, and then I think what I've seen is that. Um, a lot of the time it seems to be exacerbated or worse in gardens where there's a lot of synthetic nitrogen being applied. So over-fertilising. Over-fertilising mm. with the wrong things. Okay. Yep. What are the wrong things? How do, how do listeners know the difference? There's, there is a shift happening now, um, particularly through uh, regenerative agriculture is sort of leading the way in this back towards more... Uh, natural forms of fertiliser. So that's uh, rock minerals, plant-based um, yes. products mm. as foliar feeding. Mm. Um, they seem to work better with the biology and when there's a lot, there's more balance in the nutrients and how the nutrients are uptaken in the plants. So mm. you end up with plants that are growing well and looking lovely but they're actually got stronger cell walls and Ellen will probably talk a bit more about Mm. nitrogen and and cell walls and um, it's something that we're still exploring Um, I'm certainly not a chemist but I I see what happens I see the results of different ways of feeding plants Mm. Um, even in and and sometimes it can be even organic nitrogen can be applied too too heavily too as heavily well. Too heavily as well. Okay, very good information. Now, Anna of Armadale has left a message. She's saying, is it possible to get chilli thrip on her pawpaw tree? Is that possible? I guess the way to tell would be to have it looked at under a microscope to see if there's evidence of the thrips there. Damage. Uh, because they are so small, you know, we, we're only guessing really. Yeah. We, we're seeing... Uh, Damage and saying, oh, it, it's that or it's not that. Mm. To, be, to be sure, you would perhaps send a sample to the ag department, mm. although they're not a home garden advisory service. So no. uh, are nurseries doing any uh, checking on this sort of thing? Do you not know, Kathy? Not with microscopes. No. So you would see damage. You would possibly know that there's symptoms or signs that the leaf has been pierced or sucked and so then your treatment might be for that of sucking mm. insects but so i guess i guess like the question is is pawpaw one of uh, chili thrips desired there is a list i've come mm. across a list of 150 plant yeah. species yeah. i can't remember if there's pawpaw on, on it, it. Mm. i know selvia's actually were tell me about and, it and uh, mm. which in at first I thought, oh, that's terrible because I've been saying plant salvias. But if you look at biological pest control and you have bank plants, you have this safety deposit of the, the salvias in my garden had aphids and then they had ladybirds. It's a bank. It's a safety deposit. So when the chili thrip gets on my roses, boom, I've got this army waiting to move in and the mm. salvias are coping. And I have... 
I thought I didn't have chili thrip. I have minor signs, mm. minor. Okay. So a lot of people out there are saying I don't have it because they're not looking at what has caused that the silvering on the leaves or why the buds are smaller. Yeah, correct. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Five minutes to nine, you are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio with us this morning, Ellen Walker from Earthwild Australia and Cathy Hubble from Biotiful. Now, we all take that cuppa for granted, but not the homeless of Perth. Once again, Curtain Radio is coming on board to help the Perth Homeless Support Group with some desperately needed tea and coffee supplies. We are seeking donations of tea bags, small jars of coffee, sugar and long-life milk. If you would like to give the homeless a cuppa, please drop off your donations directly to the Perth Homeless Support Group at 28A Munt Street, Bayswater or into the radio station during working business hours here at the university, or better still, bring them to the car show, which is tomorrow, where a collection bin will also be available. Thank you for your ongoing support and compassion. Okay, carry on. All right. Cathy, we might just jump over to you and yeah, and sure. let you have a say. Okay. Um, I knew that this trip was going to be a problem um, because... I talked a couple of years ago to a flower grower and they were having a lot of difficulty controlling Western flower thrip because uh. it had become resistant to all of the chemicals, um, all just about everything. Um, and so I knew that thrip had this potential to... They, they breed very rapidly mm. and they have that potential to build up resistance very quickly. So I started looking for alternative um, treatments and thinking about that. And one of the things that I tried, I had one, we've got a, a very mixed garden, uh, lots of different flowering things, lots of predator food, lots of predators present. And I actively leave um, plants that are at the end of their life. So for example, I've got um, self-sown broccoli that has been in the garden all through summer looking absolutely terrible at the mm -hmm. moment. It's got white flies completely smothered in aphids and I go out there and I, I look for predators Yes, and there are so many predators. There's a little mm. um, hoverfly larva and there's tiny little wasps flying around and you can see the bloated um, forms of the aphids that the wasps have laid their eggs inside of. So I look at those horrible, ugly-looking plants as my predator breeding ground mm. ready for overwintering and spring so that I have a good supply of predators in the garden. They're my sacrificial yes, plants. Yes, understood. And all plants, no matter how healthy they are, if they're at the end of their life, then they will succumb to pests and diseases. That's just a natural thing. So pests have their role in the garden in that sense they they um, are recyclers of of um, nutrients and i happen to squash a um, two-spotted mite under a, oh. a slide and put it under my microscope once mm. and it was absolutely amazing it was absolutely full of different different bacteria and 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 it made me really appreciate 
how interconnected and how um, layered this beautiful living world is that we inhabit and how sometimes we we see things with blinkers on and just mm. see a certain aspect of that because oh we don't like what it's doing at this time to a we certain want plant. a lot of us look for a quick fix and a quick mm. fix mm-hmm. absolutely mm. whereas taking that step back and just just breathing and being curious and what's going to happen what happens if i actually leave this mm. and see what and, and go in and and look for the changes that occur um i had a problem with the the two spotted mite in my little quail run because the plants were unhappy because i had to put extra shade up for the quails the trees weren't big enough to create enough shade and so they they had this um two spotted mite and quite and actually another one too i think so they were really getting hammered and i ordered predatory mites Mm -hmm. which is a, a great treatment for them quite expensive but worthwhile if you've got a lot of mite action in your garden Mm. but because of COVID there was a delay in it it just didn't arrive Mm. and in the meantime I had made up this lactobacillus serum ah yes and I thought well I have to do something for this this poor plant Mm. so I um I gave it a spray and within a day or two, they seem to have disappeared. And all of the, the plant has put on new growth and the new growth looks fine. It's, it's um, not got any of the speckleding from the mites. It's, it's um, photosynthesizing well. The plant looks healthy again. And this was just from one spray of a, a, a lactobacillus serum, which is essentially two ingredients that we can eat yeah um the lactobacillus which is like the whey from yogurt Mm. uh, mixed with molasses and so when i noticed that one of my roses was badly affected by this thrip out of all of the roses in the garden this one was affected it was in a pot it was Mm. stressed i don't know i think perhaps a little bit water repellent the pot in any case it wasn't happy so i thought okay so first thing you go is there a a stress that i can control that is leading to the plant being more susceptible and in this case we ripped up some paving to reduce the heat sink in the garden and we had space to put it in the ground so i put it in the ground with a couple of handfuls of really good compost yeah, we do have to go to the news. So hold hold that thought and we will return on the other side okay. of this. Currently it's 20.7 degrees. We are heading for a maximum today of a sunny 30. And tomorrow there will be a maximum of 24. There will be rain, 90% chance. It will be obviously cloudy. And on Monday, a maximum of 24 possible rain and cloudy. Okay, now shall we? I think we'll go and say... Good day to Earl. No, what would you like to do? We'll go to Kathy and finish the and conversation. All right. Um, yes. Yeah, so what happened was I planted that rose and I sprayed it with. I pruned off the worst affected growth, leaving some of the 
green leaves through the base of the plant that are still photosynthesizing. Mm. The pest always goes to the softest new growth, so they're going to be leaving that old, tougher growth behind. Mm -hmm. So even if it looks a little ugly, leave it behind um, because if it's green, it's photosynthesizing and and supporting that um, plant. Um, And then I sprayed with the lactobacillus serum as a foliar spray. And it's very quick energy for the plant. There's a whole range of nutrients in the molasses. And then the lactobacillus um, seems to have its own magical um, properties as well, Mm. just um, supporting the biology, the the good biology. And um, the result was amazing. After just a a week... um, this beautiful new growth came through. I've just yeah. shared photos with yeah. well, ladies. No, you've just shown us uh, photos which are nothing short of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of how this has uh, worked. Yes. And that's without any toxic chemical sprays. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's important that it, it can be treated naturally like this, but it might take a while for you your system to get into balance because I've mm. got lots of predators around. I've mm-hmm. got... Um, you know, not using high nitrogen fertilizers. So, the long, the more out of balance your system is, the more time it's going to take sure, to, to reset. Yeah, exactly. So that recipe we will share on yeah. the Facebook page under today's post about what's on the show, and we will also uh, have the podcast available for people wanting to go back and listen. Listen to this information. Okay, we're in Greenwood. Earl, thanks for holding. Yeah, no problem. Thank you uh, for having me. Um, look, I've got a, uh, a navel orange tree in the backyard and uh, it's always produced the sweetest oranges ever. Uh, but this year they're dropping off with a green tinge and they're sour. Uh, what have I done wrong? Or, or have you any ideas on uh, how to improve for, for uh, next year? Oh, Earl, this is the second call we've had about an orange tree today. So if you've had a look at the fruit that's dropped off the tree, are there any yep. blemishes on the skin? Uh, some of them there are, but like the one I'm looking at now, uh, no, it's just got a green tinge to it and it, it's fallen off the tree so it, it hasn't ripened fully. Um, yeah, so that, that's how it is. All right. Uh, do you have – sometimes rats will nibble at the stems and the fruit will drop. If the fruits have been affected by fruit fly, they, they can drop off prematurely. Uh, so looking for signs as to why uh, – Different different physiological aspects. So weather conditions, if we had a really strong heat spell or winds, they can drop off. Is there moisture stress? Has anything changed? Or have you added fertiliser? Uh, probably all of the above might be the answer to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it could be. There is a bit of fruit fly in there, but uh, certainly not, not on all the oranges. Uh, and it's just generally... None of the, uh, most of the uh, the oranges drop off before they get fully ripe, but so mm. yeah, maybe it is a bit of water stress. Maybe it's as simple as that. Um, well, and I I guess Helen's frowning. Um, Ellen's yeah. frowning, but I'm thinking it's it's possibly to do with your soil as well. If it's got everything that it needs, uh, fruit trees will drop fruit early and only hang on to what they can support. Uh, oh, okay then, right? But. I tend to think that's when the smooth, the fruit are smaller, not so much when they're sizable. So, I, yeah, you're right in having a look at it, but investigate and see 
see what else you can see. If there is um, the pest attack, what is happening with your water is maybe a sprinkler dropped and suddenly the tree's gone into stress and going, oh, no, I can't hold on to all this. I'll let some go. Uh, is it mulched? Has it been well fed over time? As distinct yeah, from... it's prob- probably suffered a bit of neglect, so maybe that's what the yeah mm. uh, the solution is is just to give it a bit more TLC. Yeah, mm. sure. Some more nice compost would probably it would probably just love it, Earl. Is that, yeah, well, yeah, okay. So we might uh, yeah we'll get on to all of those. We'll all try, right, try okay. the lactobacillus serum. Yes, yes. Well, I think well, I think go. bitterness mm. is to do with a nutrient. But I can't remember which one. Is I it, think it's is potassium. It? Yeah. Mm. yeah. But also you're not going to get the nutrient density and that sweetness until you've got that active biology part of that plant health pyramid. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And if there's excessive nytrogen, then that shuts down potassium. <laughs> well, here we have to you go co- back to basics. You, you copped all of that, Earl. <laughs> yep. oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Honestly. Yeah. yeah, we've got two okay. two specialists here today, yeah. so we're going down a rabbit hole far deeper than we've <laughs> ever been in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll work on that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you okay. for your time. Okay. welcome. Earl. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Now I do have a question uh, for you, ladies, with this chili thrip. The first reaction with a lot of people, and they were told to do it, I think, uh, is they've cut their roses back to like a winter prune. And they've done that in the last couple of months. And a lot of people feel that they're cut, that they're cutting the damage out of the chili thrip and they've cut them right back. I've seen roses pruned almost to the ground. So maybe Kathy could talk about her experience and the recommendations that mm. their nursery had been uh, what people had been told to do. Yeah. yeah, we were telling people not to cut back not really to. hard. Yeah, just to cut off the top growth. Mm-hmm. And top the reason for that, the reason was that you not don't necessarily want the plant to suddenly put out a whole lot of new growth. Um, it's going to stress the plant more. And also leaving the older leaves, even though they look don't look so good, they're they're supporting the plant through photosynthesis. Mm. So um, combination of reasons there. If people have done it already, then don't panic. I think um, if you are not interested in um, making up your own lactobacillus serum, you could use, for example, a seaweed product with and mix a bit of molasses in with into it. that yeah as mm-hmm. a as a i mean most people so when uh, on that. those these roses i've seen new growth coming through on, on a heavily pruned rose and that that growth is distorted what should they do should they leave that distorted growth or do they remove it i would probably leave it, leave it. but then support the plant with some extra mm. um foliar nutrition so and, and the lactobacillus or as you just said, the seaweed with molasses. Yes. So, Ray, what would you do for yours now? For mine, mm. I think I'll follow through with with uh, what what has now been yep. recommended and yep. give that a go. I trimmed mine back. I didn't prune them back hard. I tried to trim the damage away, but the regrowth was came back just as bad, maybe even worse. Mm. And so I wondered with the chili thrip how that happens. Is the chili thrip actually in the tissue of the rose bush? How does that happen that the new growth that's coming through is again very very damaged i think they're they're probably just quite 
damn active. About, yeah, they're, they're, they're out and about and God. they're so small. They get yeah. they hitch, hitch rides on other insects yeah. um, and probably even picked up on a strong breeze. Yeah. And so mine, at the moment, I'm just literally leaving them and I'm a bit, yep. yeah. Yep. And that's, that's yeah. fine just too. Look, they look so skank. Yeah. I, I think um, that's okay. You know, yeah. people are, are taught to react quickly and, yeah. and you think you're lazy if you don't. I, I think it's the other way around. I think you're better if you're lazy because... I'm like so lazy. Kathy was talking about, <laughs> yeah, but the excitement of finding all those yeah. good bugs. There are a lot of good bugs that will target these tiny little things when we're not looking. There's the lace Can swing. Talk about the spider, Ellen. Yeah, let's go straight to Ellen. Oh. Well, first off, I've got to say that looking under the microscope <laughs> at these chili thrips, they are so gorgeous. Do you know that they're just like a, they're all pale yellow and they've got these long black wings and they're so tiny, they're about a millimetre long. Oh, wow. Right. So that's, that's one part. So they yes. are really pretty. The other part was, though, there's a little spider in this uh, ones that we were looking at so off a tip of a rose and there's this little tiny spider with this big bulb. It's almost like pearlite base with these little legs and and it was eating a eating a chili thrip and it had another chili thrip wrapped up in its web ready for later mm. and this this little spider was only about a millimeter too okay and where were that where was it it was in the, on the rose on the rose yes yeah, okay, so we wouldn't necessarily see it. How do you find them? Oh, I'm really lucky. I've got a mic. Might you a, a go special, around with a different microscope? Yeah. Oh, no, I bring it to my microscope. This particular microscope's too big to take out. To the, uh-huh. To okay. The things. But they are really gorgeous. So there are actively at the moment spiders Absolutely. and things. Absolutely. So I am chowing I'm, down on the chili mm, thrip. Yes. And so I guess this is where if you can support the plant in uh, in numerous ways i don't think to it's recover. just going to be one thing no yes mm. that these little spiders or these other little uh, predators are going to be there and bring it back into balance the chili thrip probably has a has a use but um in balance and do you think that with us now going in more it feels a little bit more like autumn now than it did even a week ago mm. uh when we had very high temperatures again uh do you think that the chili thrip will dissipate with a colder cooler climate absolutely but we need yeah. to be careful for spring, right? So it's a perfect time to start planting predator attracting diversity in your garden. Yes, so this is what we must busy ourselves with. Yep. Yes. And that supports also the soil biology because where you have different living root systems from different kinds of plants, you have more diversity of the soil microbes as well. So then the whole Everything thrives on biodiversity. Wherever there is um, in nature where you have lots of different things together, then those things collectively are much more resilient. And we're going to need plants in our gardens to be more resilient going into the future where we have unseasonal weather and um, yeah. that sort of problem. We're, yeah. we're going to have to really build resilience into our gardens. Yes, this is the new world going forward for gardeners. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So that spider that Alan yes. discovered is native to Australia and New yes. Zealand and it has been introduced into England and Belgium because it has the potential to control spider mites and leaf roller caterpillars. Okay. So because it's so small, I've talked mm. about the bugs that I see with my naked, naked eye. eye yeah. This spider you wouldn't even no, know there. was there. It's that small. So mm. this is 
what happens. Mm. You know, there's this whole world that we can't see. And mm. in fact, tomorrow starts the wild pollinator count that goes for a week, mm. which encourages people to get out and look at a flower for 10 minutes and observe who comes. And you'll be amazed when you stay still for 10 minutes, you might see on a warm day the ladybirds are flying in or there'll be mm. a lacewing or there'll be a lacewing larva or hoverfly larva crawling up a stem. Yeah. And it's important to start to learn to recognise what these things are because often people will see a little grubby thing on their plant and assume that it's a bad guy yeah. when actually it's a hoverfly larva chowing down on thrip eggs like peanuts. Mm. <laughs> Describe hoverfly larva for it's kind listeners. of um, it's like a it's, caterpillar. It's sort of sluggy, but more sluggy than kind of cross between caterpillar and slug. It's it's more sort of you don't see all the legs, so it, it's um. And kind what of colour? What colour is it? Usually greenish. Greenish, so yeah. yeah. Unless it's been yeah. parasitized oh, no. by a wasp, in which case it can be brownish. Hmm. I have created a hoverfly video ray mm. with a photo with a video of a hoverfly larva mm -hmm. sucking on an aphid and so spitting it out people can i i'll put that under yes, today's that facebook as well. post as well okay and uh yes carol of belcatta has asked if we could please give the ratio of mixing molasses and sea salt well in the lactobacillus serum i think the ratio of to five litres of water is about 100 ml of molasses because it's sort of 50-50 with the mm. lactobacillus, yeah. which is a 200 ml all up. So um, anything up to about 100 ml would be fine, I think, mm. in, in five, five litres. So for, but if you wanted to do just do equal amounts, um, molasses and um seaweed concentrate then that would be fine that would be okay would you dilute that there then like if you'd mix the molasses with the seaweed concentrate oh, yes. and then you'd dilute then it the, into the watering enormous, can into normal that's sort right, of dilutions. Into normal dilution yeah mm. okay nine four eight four one nine two seven back shortly Twenty-three minutes after nine at 10 a.m jim crinan with the classic 70s Special guests in the studio, as you would already be aware, we have Alan Walker from Earthwhile Australia and Kathy Hubble from Biotiful. That's a really great name. Is that come stemming from beautiful, Biotiful, or is it to do Biota more... is life. Oh. So biota is... The biota of a region would be the total sum of life in that oh. region, for example. Lovely. So it, it's a celebration of life. How perfect is that? Love it. All right, we're heading out to Waikiki. Doreen, good morning. Good Hi. morning. Morning. Good morning. Hi, Doreen. Can you hear us? Yes. Oh, very yes. good. How can we help you today? I have, I did some repotting and I had this white ash looking stuff in some of the pots, not all of them. And I wondered if it was good bacteria or not. So just without being able to see it, it mm. could be something that's like a mycelium or even actinobacteria that, um, so you're sort of forming a few little like strands of things. And if it's not 
doesn't seem to be causing a problem, I'd say diversity is good. So, yes. It's without... also in parts of the garden. Okay. Yeah. If it, and if it's just this, um, I'm I'm trying to picture it, Dorian. I'm thinking. So if it's more sort of like this slightly strandy. Um, if you were able to look at it under a magnifying glass, then it's most likely some mycelium from the fungi, which it, it is great. That's good stuff. That Yeah, the mycelium is quite easy to see, but I've been doing a bit of repotting too this week, Doreen, and I, I can remember back to a section in my garden that when I dug away the surface, it was quite dry and powdery looking. Yes. And so yes. evidence of something, uh, but I'm not sure what. Um, so I'm not sure if what you've seen is the same as what I've seen. Um, a photo would always help because we can only guess otherwise. But are the plants doing okay? Uh, yes. Well, I've, I've repotted them into new soil, into new potting mix. Mm. Yep. That's that's a good so thing. At the moment, the dirt is uh, in buckets. <laughs> Are you going to recycle it through your compost by any chance, Doreen? Well, I don't know whether I could. Ooh. So if it is not good, if Doreen's, um, the white ash isn't good, would that have be a problem in the compost, Alan? Compost, if you've got a good compost with lots of different diversity, no, because the microbes will actually break down the any the toxins back into their basic elements. Mm. So, no, in a, through a good compost, excellent. All the diversity is good. Does and that look. help, Doreen? Yes, I'll have a look at the bigger pieces through a, through a magnifying glass and see what I can find. Oh, good excellent. idea. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> And, and, and the other short one, was it too late to take zygo cuttings? They're not in flower yet. Mm, uh, I don't think it would be the best time, but I think certainly if pieces had broken off and you popped them into a pot, I'm sure they would grow. So if you're tidying up the plant, that would be fine, but they will be getting ready, I suspect, to burst into bud very, very soon because they're winter flowering. Yes, my apricot one has been flowering for a month. Oh, right. Okay. The others, the others I have are not flowering, okay. not even budding. Well, I would wait until after they've <laughs> flowered, really, because if you cut them back now, you probably will miss the flowers. I don't want to do that. No, <laughs> just wait. Okay. Thanks, Doreen. All right, bye. Take care. Thanks, bye. And let's head to Casuarina. We're talking about black spot on grapevines. James, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good, we're thanks, well. James. Thank you. Yeah, every year I get the black spot and I don't get any fruit. Okay. Well, <laughs> we've got some ladies here that are talking a lot today about plant health. Um, the black spot, though, I don't know that that's one that I've heard a lot about. And I do know that the dreaded chilli threat can affect grapevines. So that's kind of not good news. But the good news is now might be the time to get onto it as the, the vines are slowing down. They will drop all their leaves and you would be pruning when it's lost its leaves and spraying or 
nutrition. Mm. So one of the biggest problems that I have with my grapevine is um, powdery and downy mildew. Mm. And that tends to affect the fruit and, and actually does make it look a bit blackened on the, the surface if it's a really bad infestation. I, again, controlled that pretty early on with the lactobacillus serum, but I, because I'm a lazy gardener, <laughs> I was spraying just fortnightly, which actually wasn't enough in that situation. It needs needed to be weekly, I think, to really be on top of it. And so with the the black spot and sort of into your powdery mildews and things, again, going back to that plant health pyramid, and if you Google plant health pyramid, you'll you'll come up with it pretty easily. The When you're getting up to this level where you're, you've got your, your minerals and your nutrients and you're getting into bi- your biology, the plants are a bit like humans in that they take up the nutrients that they need and then they like to store a little bit of excess just in case something happens. And so in doing that, they form these lipids or these waxes that go over the leaves. And when you get to that stage, you're not going to get, because it forms like a physical barrier Mm -hmm. between the leaf and the mildews and and the the black spots. So it's some really, um, perhaps a a, a good dose, make sure that you've got your your nutrients to the plant. And it's always tricky to to do that in the right way, but... Uh, and also some good compost. So you've got that biology to create the nutrients, to take those nutrients and process them in a way that the plant can take up. Mm. So it's, yeah, there's a few things for you to do, James. One is to add compost and I Mm. reckon a layer of mulch over the top of that. Uh, They'd be pruning the plant at the appropriate time and perhaps giving it a, a treatment of the lactobacillus serum or, of course, there are other fungicides that you can spray or copper sprays at that time. But then copper can harm fungi. So like you, you might want to choose one um, role, one aspect of how you want to manage your grapevines growing down the track. But if you work on the soil health, potentially you won't have the problems yeah, well, the, the plant grows great. Right. Mm. It's just the, 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 the fruit comes in, uh, the black spot comes up, and yep. the fruit destroys up to nothing. Right. So treat your soil, compost and mulch. Prune at the appropriate time. You will also need to do some pruning when you get regrowth because you get a lot of whippy growth and there's a lot of humidity created under the vine which contributes so creating more airflow so pruning is imperative and whatever you choose to to spray with as well okay i don't want to use harsh chemicals no that's right that's that's Mm -hmm. why this combination of the lactobacillus serum which we're going to put a link under today's facebook post on the curtain radio page for people to go back to or listen to the podcast again yeah, oh, that'd be great. Thank okay. you very much for your help. You're welcome. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Cheers. Bye. Okay, and Rhonda of Mount Claremont phoned in and she's asking for us to repeat the recipe uh, again, if, if you would. Uh, probably best to have a look at the the link. It's a very easy thing to make. It's, it's actually a Korean natural farming mm. um, process. They do a lot of different fermenting and make a lot of different... 
um, feeds and amendments and so on. Yeah. This is one of the easier ones to do. It's mm. really quite easy and very clear to um, see what's happening when. So it starts off with a um, yeah, rice and you wash that rice in water. You take the rice out so you've got the, the water that the rice was washed in and you let that sit and you don't cook the rice you just you don't cook the rice you just want no. the water that the rice has sat in yes yep so um, that's already got sort of goodies on the rice yes and various things will grow including some moles which will float on the, the top as a very very thin layer on the very top and you get some sediment at the bottom what you want is that layer in between so mm -hmm. then that layer is is taken and the trickiest bit for me was separating that layer out and in the end just pouring the liquid the the top uh, molds and things tended to pull back and, and the the middle part poured out cleanly oh anyway. i see so it wasn't okay. as big a drama as i imagined it was it might when I was be making yeah it. Mm -hmm. and then you mix that with um full cream milk i happen to have access to um organic goat's milk which was great yeah um but any full cream milk would be uh, fine um but not the lacto, not the A2. No, ideally not the A2 because that's not you know that doesn't have the lactobacillus. Yeah, you need the the yeah. Okay, because a lot of mm. our listeners like, uh, for example, Rhonda isn't doesn't have access to Facebook. I'm not sure whether she has access to the internet. But do you have an actual link that you can share with our listeners? Or I do, and mm. I'll put that on the yeah. curtain face. Oh, do you see well, what I mean? so there's something we can share right now here and it's, now. It's a lengthy. Okay. Yes. So, so basically, if you Google um, unconventional farmer lactobacillus serum. Um, ah, yes. I read that during the week. Unconventional yep. farmer yep. lactobacillus serum. So he does a whole lot of different yeah. career natural farming methodology. And on his webpage, he's got links to how to make this and how to make that, how to ferment your own fish and all sorts of wonderful things. I have in the past done a fair bit of reading of Korean natural farming for other reasons and, uh, yeah, very, very interesting for mm. people to, to yeah, immerse themselves in mm. and, and learn. Do-it-yourself stuff. Yeah, exactly. 94841927. You look very busy there, Faye. Well, I'm putting the links up under the <laughs> as, Facebook As we post. speak. <laughs> well, you got to give the people what they want, right? We do, we do. All right, now... Shall we carry? We can carry we on. We can carry on. So, what else did we want to talk about? We well, are going to talk about the role of fungi in the soil. Oh, yes, please. Go, oh. go, Ellen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fungi is so important. So, mm. so important in the soil. All of the organisms are important. Don't mm. get me wrong. You can't have healthy soil without all four bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and nematodes. Fungi put out these long strands, mm. and so they actually take. The, the connecting. They're, they're, they're the connecting. So mm. they actually build structures under the, the soil. So the bacteria yeah. are, are oozing their slime and building these little bricks. Then the fungi are um, putting out the, the, the mortar and tying those together. But they also are really good at uh, mining the soil for the for minerals so the calciums and the um, phosphorus and so on that they are just really good at doing that and in so there's a there's a few things oh it's running through my heads but basically the nutrient side of things is one big part that we want the fungi for mm. i think in our sands we really want the fungi for building this soil structure because they are full of carbon 
So fungi have got lots of carbon in their bodies, and when the the, the um, the strands that they put out are full of carbon and so each gram of carbon is going to hold roughly eight grams of water and it's going to build soil structure if i can just have so just just in a moment if you think of um taking a, some a bit of flour on putting that on a plate like yes half a cup of flour mm-hmm. if you think of that flour as being like soil without microbes yes in there then if you put next to that a slice of bread mm-hmm. so white bread's great because if you've used white flour mm-hmm. so that's all all that bread is is basically the white flour plus some microbes in this case like a yeast so the a fungi sort of sort of thing mm. so now if you can make some sounds like rain and lightning and then pour some colored water over the the, the flour yeah. see what happens mm. and you, you just runs off mm. basically mm. Then you do the same thing over the bread. And what happens? It. it absorbs it. Mm. And so this is due to the fungi in the soil. Mm. You can't do that without the bacteria. So it's really important. And then, of course, those bits about the fungi, the fungi ooze up, you know, sidle up to things and even up to the rocks and pebbles and sand particles. And the stuff that they ooze out basically works to dissolve the minerals out of the rock and be able to be taken into the fungi. Then the fungi needs something to eat it and poop out the excess mm. to be able to make that available to the plants. But it becomes this store of, of nutrients. They're mm. pretty amazing. It is, mm. absolutely. And it's sequestering carbon. Mm. Pardon me? And it's sequestering carbon. Yes. So we can be carbon farmers in our gardens. Mm. Well, okay. we did receive an email from Gary and oh. he asks... Can Ellen please explain why fungi play an important part in transmitting nutrients from the microbes to plants and vice versa, sugar, carbon to the microbes? Oh. So, <laughs> Can so, you so, answer so, that so, in so, a nutshell? Well, so if I've done that first bit of how mm, the, the fungi analogy. take it up, mm-hmm. the, the, that analogy, mm. then the second analogy is that the plant puts out these delicious exudates and like recipes. So the plant in its photosynthesis, photosynthesis is just really key, but it makes simple sugars and the plant knows that simple sugars aren't enough for for it to thrive. Mm. And so it processes these simple sugars together with nitrogen and other trace elements. And it says, "Mm, Faye really likes a carrot cake. Mm. I'm going to make a recipe for a carrot cake from all of these proteins and lipids and um, things that I've got in me Mm. and I'm going to make this carrot cake and Faye is just going to be blown away by the smell and the the feel of this and so Faye is going to because Faye's really good at getting me some boron Uh, mm. and so Faye goes off and gets some boron because she's got this carrot cake. It's a mutually rewarding it's relationship. Mutu- exactly. Mm. Or maybe it's the calcium. And then, and so that's the fungi that's going to give the plant mm. that. It is. It's mutual. It's like, okay. Mutually beneficial. Are the mm. microbes farming the plants or are the plants farming the microbes? Yeah. Uh-huh. Rhizophagy. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> There's all sorts of bits. It's magical. It's magical. Right. We're in safety bay, guys. We're saying good day to Tanya. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're all well. Thank you. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoying your really interesting program about the garden and the soil and all that sort of yes, stuff. Yes, yes, thank you. Question, and it will, I will keep it one question. Um, <laughs> I've heard a lot about rock minerals as a form of fertilizer for the soil. How, how, is, how does that come across? 
So rock minerals have a role to play in fertilising the soil because they're not something that's easily available to the plant. So there's only part of it that's going to dissolve. So the plant actually has to be an active producer of these exudates that we were talking about, like the carrot cake and so on, to attract the microbes who go and get those minerals that are then more easily available. So yeah. the, the rock minerals work in from from my understanding because they provide this source of, of product, source of nutrients for the microbes to go and easily get, but they're not easily available to the plant by itself. And maybe okay. we should take that step back to what we were talking about with the cells before then. The plant, unless it's actually producing these exudates and getting the microbes to do its work, because the stomach, the, the plant, the plant's stomach is actually the soil, and just like our guts, that's all the microbes that actually do the work. The same for the yep. plant. If we feed the plant, if we're feeding it synthetic nitrogens and even organic nitrogen and organic um, fertilizers that the plant can easily take up. It's yeah. a bit like having a pizza shop down the road. Mm. We fast don't. food. It's a bit like fast mm. food. Delivered to the door. Yeah. And so, yes, we, yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> yes, we survive, but we don't thrive. Mm. So yeah. when we can grow our own food and we cook our own food, it's much healthier because it also comes with lots of other goodies, not just those nutrients. So yeah. I'm not sure if that's helping in that Sense. Yeah, it is actually because I've, I've seen a lot of gardening shows and that sort of stuff, and they use rock minerals, and, mm. and I've got some, but I haven't, I haven't known how, uh, what the function of it is, and yeah. so it doesn't matter. Do you have to put it on a certain time of year, or? Well, it is. It is slow yeah. release, mm. uh, yeah. so you can sprinkle it round really whenever you want, and it will just sit there and break down slowly. Mm. You don't have to bury it in. Well, you could probably rake it into the top and water it in. And add it, add it to your compost as well. And mulch on top. Okay. Good, good, good. Okay. And I was presuming they've got the ratio of how, how much to put on on the, on the bag. On the bag. It, yes, it's on the bag or the, the bucket. Yes. So it's going to help my soil. Yes. yes. Great. <laughs> well, All right. Cheers. Thanks, Tanya. Okay. Bye. Bye. Cheers for that. Uh, we do need to take a short break. When we return, we have a question from Karen for our guests. 100.1 FM, Curtain Radio. You are with Let's Talk Gardening, straight back out to the lines. We're in Sawyers Valley. Karen, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, I too find this uh, conversation very, very interesting. Yes. Um, what I'd like to ask you is I have a problem with mushrooms. Um, I got some uh, horse manure, and ever since I've been using that, um, every time I water somewhere, I get all these white, awful mushrooms coming up everywhere, and it makes the, the soil very white. And... Um, it's not good because I, I had planted some uh, rooted cuttings of um, a fig tree and they, they started looking really, really sad and they're dropping their leaves and I was watching them and nothing was happening and I, I dug down and the soil was just white um, with these, this mushroom stuff and I'm just wondering, you know, it was making the soil hydrophobic as well so I, I don't know what really to do about it because it seems to be spreading right through my whole area. 
Well, Karen, from what I know about fungi is that it is generally beneficial and fungi have a role in breaking down organic material and like Alan was saying before, the mycelium will spread through. And by the time we see mushrooms, these are the fruiting bodies. So the fruiting bodies are only about 5% of the fungal network. So, you know, a lot of people will talk about removing them to get rid of them because they're worried about their dogs and kids. But that actually doesn't remove What's most going of on the underneath. problem. Mm. So they are fantastic recyclers. As to whether the soil is... Um, water repellent that that might be a different thing altogether because often when we add horse manure to a soil we we dig it in and it breaks down i can't imagine why why it might be i i have seen that before mm. in the past with um where there's really dense um mycelium um through the soil um, it can be a bit water repellent. Um, it sounds like maybe you've got a lack of diversity in the garden and this, this one um, fungi mm. has become a little bit dominant. Well, it, perhaps... it seems, yeah. I was what? just going to say, it's, it seems to have gotten worse. It, it seems to get worse when I put wood chips over the top as well. Yes. Um, it seems like it's it's quite a breeding ground, but yeah. it, it it's... It doesn't seem beneficial for my plants. They okay. they seem to really struggle with it. Okay, so it's it's doing a job. It's it's decomposing that material that you're putting down, and ultimately turning that material into um, long term. It would would be food for plants, but in the short term, perhaps you've got just a little bit too much going on there. What I would do is get a garden fork and just just fork open the um, around the plants. Um, yeah. Just check too that um, maybe do something like the Lactobacillus serum or, or um, get some other compost that's got good diversity of microbes, um, bacteria, and protozoa, and so on. It's a good yeah. homemade compost just to yeah, I'm d I use that. add in. It mm. does sound like it's a bit heavy on the horse manure yes. around yes. the fig tree. But the horse, mm. manure, horse manure, I wouldn't expect to have a lot of fungi. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just sawdust, and then she's added mm. wood chips. So there's mm. a lot of there's a wood lot of material. Yeah, which the yeah. fungi love. So. so and if that was away from the fig trees, so yes. the, the figs will grow roots in even sandy soil. Mm. So just pull it away so that you've got a well around the fig tree. Right, so yeah. Stop feeding well, them. I, I, actually, I actually dug them up and put them in a pot because they were dying where they were. Mm. And that, that's um, probably it just, it, Yeah, it's just coming up all over the garden and there's just, you know, mobs, big mobs of these big white mushrooms. Oh, it's it, the time it, of the kill. year. It, it is the time of the year. I think I I wouldn't worry too much about okay. it. Um, just try and get as get more diversity, um, mm. into the garden with a, a little bit of compost and so on. All um, right. So hold back on the, um, adding mulches and and straw and all of that sort of thing for a little while, and mm. just just watch and see what happens. Okay then. All right. Thank you very much for your help. You're welcome, Karen. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. And let's head to Thornley. We have another question about fungi. Rosemary, hello. 
Hi, and good morning to all. Good morning. Um, morning. We had a lawn which we have cut back and then put in um, grow beds. On the edge of the lawn, we've had we've had um, wooden planks around there, and we've always had um, fungi growing, like mushrooms growing. Um, that's fine on the lawn side, but on the other side where the lawn met the paving and the um, wooden um, plank, the mushrooms are still growing. Now I'm looking at that thinking, well, they're growing and they're not doing any good. Do I take them and put them into my compost or into the grow bed or what do I do with them? I I would just leave them, Rosemary. They fungi are nutrient recyclers. So if they're, they're growing on planks or sleepers or wood or tree trunks, mm-hmm. they're breaking down the material and they're just the the flowering and fruiting bodies of the fungi. Mm. I would admire them. I I love to see all the different types of fungi. And with the rain that we've had dumped recently, mm. it's just a trigger. And, yeah. you know, the world of fungi is magical. There are so many different types. There are slime molds and they have an important role. They're not all bad. Mm. And particularly if they're on, on wood or timber or sleepers, yeah. don't worry about it. I'm not worried. I'm just worried that they're doing nothing because they're next to the um, pavers and and under the grow beds where there's no, nothing happening. Is I'd there... rather take them and put them where where they will do something, like maybe in the compost or somewhere. Well, they're there because they're doing something and they're oh, okay. breaking down, they're living on the material that is feeding them. They're exchanging yeah. nutrients. So let them do their thing where they are. Okay. That's where All they're right, doing their you. best work and enjoy them. All right. Thank you. Okay. Good on have you, a good Rosemary. day, Rosemary. Cheers. I love your program. Bye. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Bye. Okay. We'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. Appreciate your company this morning and it's been a really informative, interesting morning. We hope you have enjoyed it. We're heading to Waruna, chatting with John. Good morning. Morning, oh, John. Good morning. I think you're just at the range of your your radio here. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes. we can. Oh, good. It just keep, I pulled over here because it keeps on coming and going. I was just going to ask you about, I've planted some new citrus trees and um, they were growing really, really well and then in the recent weeks, the, the new shoots are turning slightly um, yellower and they're curling up a bit. And they've got seem to have a, a fine, silvery sort of um, uh, film on them. Squiggle, I, squiggly line? Um, I didn't have my glasses on when I looked, but it seems to be just like a, a sheen on, there, on, on the inside of the leaf. Um, um, and I put some sulfur on there. But, you know, I only did it recently, but I didn't know what else to, to apply to them. Okay, John, it sounds like something that is on a lot of citrus trees around at the moment, and that is the citrus leaf miner, which is a little moth that comes yes. and lays its egg in between yes. the layers of yep. the new growth of citrus. And if you look really closely or if you get a magnifying glass... On yes. recent ones, you can probably even see the caterpillar between the layers. Okay. So 
I I would remove the damaged leaves if you want to, uh, or squish the bug if you find it. Yes. You can cut them off. You could spray with a an oil which sort of helps to prevent it, but really, in the scheme of things, it it won't overly affect most established trees. Okay, so yeah, so it seems to be the um, mandarins and oranges and lemons more than the limes. Yes, yep. For some reason. It um, might be about the new growth. So that, yes, that's yep. what it is, and you're not alone. It's a common okay. common problem. So thanks very much. I really enjoy your program when, when I can get it, mm-hmm. and um, really enjoy listening to your, all your advice. Thank you thanks, very much, John. John. Okay. All Cheers right. for you that. guys have a good weekend and um, brace yourselves for the storm. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thank thanks, you. Thanks. Cheers for that. Bye, Bye. Bye. And today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. Okay, we should do a bit of... Oh, you're going to... I'll just do this one email. Apologies to everyone else who we haven't got to. I'll be on the computer this week emailing some of you replies. But this came in from Cheryl and she wanted to say a big thank you for the voucher that she won on the show a few weeks ago. Off of Bigger Trees. Yes, she visited Bigger Trees and picked out a great selection of native plants for her new garden that she's establishing. She said she was so impressed with the nursery and will be visiting again soon. Many thanks again. I will think of each of you each time I look at my gorgeous grevilleas. So thank you, Cheryl. And and thank you to Kerry at Bigger Trees. Wonderful prize. And thank you to everyone who has sent in emails. And I'm sorry we, we haven't got through them we knew we would have a big show we wanted to cover so much and i think we did today and uh thank you to our special guests yes indeed so just to wrap up with chili through do you think this is something that we have to deal with ongoing now that it's presented itself or do you think it's something like you were saying off air that might settle down like the tomato psyllid i think it will definitely settle down Mm. um the potato psyllid is still Around. With us, yeah. You know, but when I um, haven't been seeing that coming in, 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 you know, smothering leaves or anything like that. Mm. Um, but I think it is key to start getting our predators, um, looking after our predators and the plants' health. So you know, there is hope. Absolutely. There is absolutely hope because I I know of people who have actually removed all of their rose bushes. They've but just pulled their gut, them all out. Kathy mm. mentioned about building up. Our, our networks in amongst our suburbs. So adding, improving mm. the soil mm. the way Helen ha, uh, Ellen has <laughs> talked about and planting plants that act as banks for our beneficial insects. Mm. I, I love that idea. But in the neighbourhood, like I can count on one hand those that are real gardeners and the rest of them might have some roses or whatever in their front yard, but they're just not it's into a change, it. Ray. Just we might have to it. do a letter drop in your <laughs> yeah, street, that's right, and that's right. you know, give away seeds or <gasps> do some gorilla gardening. Throw share seeds. compost. Share compost. Mm. I remember I was talking to a lady once through the fence, and I was saying, "Oh, well, it probably needs." And as I was saying, "You need to go and get this and that," she sort of started walking away from me because I, sh- I think she thought, "Oh, dollar signs, money." This girl's telling me to spend money, and she just sort of drifted away from me through the fence. <laughs> <laughs> go away, you horrid girl. But yeah, I try. Yeah, so no, it's been a wonderful morning. Thank you so very, very much. We have a lot of information now available on our on the Facebook links, uh, on Curtain Radio Facebook page and also 
on the Curtain Radio website. You simply go to the front page where you see programs, click on that link, there's a drop-down bar, choose Let's Talk Gardening, and that'll take you to the page and away you go. And there's, we've also got uh, some wonderful uh, summaries that John has compiled as well. Is there anything else you'd like to say for Karen? Oh, just it's been a wonderful show and Curtain Car Show tomorrow and John's yes. Open Garden today, opengardenswestcoast.org for more information, 16 Lakes Way. I'll be there all weekend. Come and say hi. Absolutely, and I shall be following you. Okay, look, thank you both ladies very, very much for coming in today and sharing your wonderful wisdom. John and Bev, as always, and my gardenism for the morning is delicious autumn. My very soul is wedded to it, and if I were a bird, I would fly about the earth seeking the successive autumns, and so I would. Jim Crinan with the Classic 70s is next. Happy gardening, everyone, and until next week, take care of yourselves. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.